Welcome to worship this morning. We're going to be in Luke 1, so if you want to be like the head of the class and grab your Bible and go there quick, that's where we're going to be this morning. Some of you guys know I'm, I'm from a, a family that has kind of music in its, in its um, veins. My mother was um, in a few shows on Broadway in her time. She was just in the chorus and stuff, but she, um, she was a professional musician and went to school for opera and for theater. My twin brother is a professional musician. Um, he makes his living doing music. My older brother, he's in about 150 bands. He can play every instrument under the sun. And then there's me. <laughs> most of that skipped most of that skipped me but I grew up in a family that was like so into music and especially musicals now some of you guys need you need to know I love musicals and I know there's people in here when I said that you were like "Ooh, yes and there's some of you were like that I can't believe this <laughs> like you watch us you watch a movie and if they start singing you're turning it off because it seems so unrealistic. So I acknowledge there's some of you in this room, you don't like musicals. Here's the thing I like about musicals. I like that as soon as someone experiences something, they just have to sing about it, right? They just like, it, it's this way of processing whatever's happening to them. So we grew up on movie musicals, on musicals in the theater, the whole shebang. As a matter of fact, there's this subset of songs in musicals that I really love, which is in, in the musical when the, the young female protagonist towards the beginning of the movie has some sort of song where she kind of declares her character and her ideas and she just kind of kind of scene sets who she is um, at the beginning of the movie. So think about Mary Poppins singing A Spoonful of Sugar, right? Or think about Maria in The Sound of Music, right? Singing I Have Confidence. Or maybe Annie singing The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow, right? Think about those songs. Think about Elsa singing Let It Go. Some of us, that's a better one. Or Ariel and Little Mermaid singing Part of Your World. There's a little bit of that in the text that we're going to look at today. There's a little bit of that because we're going to see Mary sing this song right at the beginning of her story, right at the beginning, towards the beginning of the Christmas story. Mary's going to sing this song. We have it recorded for us in the book of Luke. And Luke records that Mary kind of composes this reflection on what has been happening to her. We call it, you guys may be familiar, we call it the Magnificat. And, uh, and it's a pretty famous um, passage of scripture that many composers and, and and uh, musicians have set to music over centuries and centuries and centuries. And the word Magnificat just comes from the Latin translation of the first words of this song. We're in this sermon series we're calling the Ultimate Christmas Playlist because we're noticing how throughout the Christmas story, people just pause and they reflect in the words of song, and you can really trace the story of Christmas through these songs. So last week, Bob looked at the song of prophecy in Isaiah, and we're going to finish on Christmas Eve looking at the song uh, of, the, of, of the angels of peace. The song is helpful, especially in the Bible. Because we find that there's these places where we have this pause. And the Bible uses songs or poems as, as, as an opportunity for us to acknowledge, hey, these events have happened, but now what is their significance? So we, we reach this part in Luke where all, all of this stuff has been happening to Mary and, and, and Elizabeth and their, their families, and God has made these announcements through the angels, and then we have this song that's sung as Mary reflects on what is happening, what's the meaning of what's going on with her. And so we'll look carefully at her song today because as we ask that, we're going to see what is the meaning of the gospel story for us, really? 
What does it matter that all of these things are happening, that we celebrate them in Advent, that we look to Christmas as the time we celebrate again what God is doing in Christ? So would you join with me as we read Luke chapter 1? We're going to start, right, it's very in the middle of the chapter. We're going to start in verse 46, and we'll go through verse 55. Here is Luke 1, 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that in the words of Mary's song, we might have an encouragement to trust you more, to know who you are, and to magnify who you are with our whole souls. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to go fast this morning. We're just going to look at four key things really fast. We're going to look at a singer who rejoices, a savior who's at work, a song to encourage faith, and a soul that magnifies the Lord. So a singer who rejoices, a savior who's at work, um, a, a song to encourage faith, and a soul that magnifies the Lord. Let's start with a singer who rejoices. We'll see that Mary starts her song saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God and my Savior. So notice first, the first defining characteristic of Mary's joy is that it's rooted in the knowledge of who God is. So you can go all over, you can read all the commentaries, you can look at all the scholars, and what they will tell you is that this song is absolutely saturated with references to the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, it would be an understatement to say that every line is connected by an allusion or by specific words or by specific phrases to something that is is already appeared in the Old Testament. You can find charts of this online. I mean, just reference after reference, dozen after dozen after dozen of references that Mary is pointing out from the Old Testament um, that her, her understanding of who God is and what he's up to is rooted in who she knows him to be. Mary is a young woman who is absolutely familiar with God as he's revealed himself throughout history and through the Jewish scriptures. You know, God, it's not an abstraction to Mary, right? So she doesn't think about God as just kind of being like up there in the sky somewhere wanting good things for her, right? Like somehow he's like in charge of stuff, but he doesn't bother with us too much. No, for God, for for Mary, God is a very personal figure. And she describes him with all of these key words. She says, my Lord, my God, my Savior. She says that he is holy and he has done mighty things with his outstretched arm. She has an intimate knowledge of who God is. And don't forget how young Mary is. Mary's probably in her early teens, 14, 15, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older, probably somewhere around there, which implies some things. If she can sing this song that knows who God is, It implies that someone has taught her. 
Somewhere along the line, there have been people who have invested in Mary and, and let her know this is who God is. Here's what he's up to. Listen to the scriptures. Mary is a, a woman who's grounded in the truth of, of this word. And so somewhere along the way, surely she's been brought up to know the words of scripture. It's not like they had Bibles in their house to read. She was listening. They were in an oral culture. And, and there were people around her speaking this truth over her and around her, part of a community. Surely Mary must have had people invested in her. So that as a 15-year-old, she could say she knew who God was. And it's not just that she knows who God is. Praise, praise God for the people who poured into her so that she would know that because she's a singer who rejoices despite her current circumstances. She's a singer who rejoices in who God is despite her current circumstances. Notice how she refers to herself. She says, look, I'm one of humble estate. I'm just a servant. I'm the lowly. I'm the needy. For her, Mary sees herself in contrast to God. God is the one who's lifted up and mighty and able to do things, and she is just young Mary. And it's not just that her current circumstances are that she's just a humble, rural, young girl from a backwards part of the Roman Empire. Her circumstances are also just completely turning upside down. An angel has come to her and told her that she's going to become pregnant with the Savior of the world. This is difficult, right? This is difficult. This is hard. People will look at her very soon after she, she sings this song, and they will say, oh, look at, look at Mary. She's pregnant and not married. And here's what, what's worse. We know that she was betrothed. So her pregnancy doesn't just imply that she was fooling around before she was married. It actually implies adultery as well. So can you imagine both of those at the same time? So people are going to look at her, and they're going to think badly of her, People are going to look at her and assume the worst. And so she's run away to the hill country to, to her cousin Elizabeth or her, her family member Elizabeth because she, she knows things are about to get crazy. As a matter of fact, we're told that Mary's reaction to the announcement of the, of the angel Gabriel that she's going to have a son is what we're told she is greatly troubled. And yet in the middle of her great trouble, she can rejoice. She knows who God is. She can rejoice because she knows who God is despite her current circumstances and in expectation of what God will do. Maybe most tellingly, Mary rejoices that the promises of God are still active. Mary is listing all of these things that God is doing. She says it's not just that God was at work before, but that God is going to continue to work. So she can say this pretty amazing thing. She says, from now on, everyone's going to call me blessed. That from now on is really important in the book of Luke and Luke Acts. Because when, when he uses that term, from now on, when you see that appear in Scripture, it actually means something definitive is changing, that things are going to be different. And so she says, look, something is happening right now in me that from now on, God is going to do some things. And I can rejoice because I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in and through this baby that I have. And so Mary is a singer who rejoices but she's a singer who rejoices at a Savior who is at work. A savior who is at work is so our next thing. So Mary sings a song about God, and that song is full of action words. It's full of what God is up to. Did you look down? As we, did you see? notice as we read, right? So what is God? He is the one who's looking for the humble, and he's, he's paying attention. God is the one who is mighty and doing great things. God is the one who has mercy. God is the one showing strength. God is the one who scatters. God is the one who brings down. He's the one who exalts and fills up. He's the one who helps and remembers and speaks. 
God is active. There is a Savior at work that Mary is singing this song to. We have this picture of, he, he, she, she describes him as showing strength with his arm, and that's a phrase really directly connected to really specific places in the Old Testament where we're told that God created the world by the strength of his arm. He rescued his people by the strength of his arm. He led them on the exodus by the strength of his arm, and he preserves them for salvation by the strength of his arm. And so here's Mary saying, that Savior back there, he's my Savior now. This is what they taught me to do in journalism school, right? They always wanted us to use active words. And for Mary, God is active. God is doing things. When we tell the accounts of what Mary is doing, when we tell her story, she says, look, God is up to these things. Look at what he's doing, what he's doing, what he's doing. And here's her list of what he's doing. First, she says there's a Savior at work who's confronting injustice. There's a savior at work confronting injustice. So you see, at the, towards the end of her song, she says what? He's bringing down the mighty from their thrones. He's scattering the proud, and he's sending the rich away empty. She has this vision of a savior, of a God who's using power to undermine and undo a worldly system that's broken. She says the world isn't just and God is coming to do something about it. And that includes what? Also, the, the saviors at work defending the needy. And so it's not just that he's bringing down the proud and, and dismissing the rich from their places and the powerful from their thrones, but that he's bringing up those of humble estate like her. He's going to raise, he's going to fill the hungry. He's going to lift up those who are humble. This is God who both confronts the brokenness of the world and, and raises up those who fear him. This is the Savior that Mary has a picture of. You know, this has been a key component of the Christmas story from the very beginning. As Bob even mentioned last week in our Sermon of Isaiah's prophecies, this proclamation of freedom from earthly oppression and the injustice that comes with it is a key part of the Christmas story. God is going to bring justice with his outstretched arm as he knocks down all of the ways of the world and turns them upside down so that the humble are lifted up, and that the poor are filled. And so if this is a Savior who's at work in confronting injustice and defending the needy, notice Mary also sees a Savior who is at work keeping his promises. We may miss some of the covenant language in this song, but towards the end especially we see Mary saying, God is a God who has promised to do things for his servant Israel, promised things to Abraham and his offspring, and those promises remain. Now remember for Mary, just like Abraham and the promises are ancient history to us, they were ancient history to her too. We look back on that and we say, oh, that's thousands and thousands of years ago. And you know what Mary did? She looked back and she said, that's thousands and thousands of years ago. And yet she believed that this God was active in keeping his promises. Don't miss that Mary believes and we believe that the same God who made those promises all those years ago to Abraham to what? To be his God. To bless him and then through him and his people to bless the whole world and all the nations that that God is still at work. That deliverance is still in play. And so we have a singer who rejoices in a savior who is at work, singing a song that encourages faith. A song to encourage faith. Did you ask yourself why Mary sings this song, or maybe why Luke includes this song in his gospel, or maybe even why we're talking about it this morning? It has a specific purpose. 
so that you and I would consider what it might mean for us to be a little more like Mary. And faith is what defines Mary's song here. You guys know there's this famous um, description in Scripture of what faith is. It comes in Hebrews 11, 1, right? And so faith tells us we're, it's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Or, or in, the, in the ESV, it's that we have the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Pretty helpful definition of faith because this is exactly how Mary is singing and composing her song that we're reading today. Notice. Mary is describing an incomplete work of God. Mary is describing an incomplete work of God. The needy haven't been filled yet. The poor are still around her. The powerful have not been brought down from their thrones. The the humble estate have not been lifted up. God, the, the promises are still hanging in the balance. And yet, Mary can describe the future work of God's son. Mary can describe the, the things that she knows God is going to do through his Savior with the certainty that she would have of a past event. And so Mary can look forward with certainty just as she looks backward with certainty. And friends, that is faith. And so this is a song that encourages our faith. It makes us, it encourages us to be certain of what we're hoping for. Mary knows, Mary knows, he, she says that God is going to have mercy on people. He's going to help his servant. He's going to scatter the proud. He's going to raise up the, the humble estate. And those things have not fully happened yet. But she is so sure of them, she can talk about them as though they already have happened. And it's not just that. She is certain of what she can't see. It's a song that encourages you and I to be sure of the things we can't see. Think about what she could see around her. She knew she was poor and rural and not important. But she also knew she was living in a land that was controlled by an occupying enemy. She knew that her people were subjugated by a distant empire. She knew that her own religious leaders were, um, were struggling with infighting and with polarization. She knew that her, her leaders, her ethnic leaders, were just puppets. She knew personally she was entering a troubling, scary reality of being an unwed teenage mother. And yet, she focuses on what she can't see. She focuses on what God can and will do. And though those things may be hidden, things like God setting all things right, God coming to save his people, God coming to bless the nations through his chosen people, those things are unseen and they are as hidden now as the child she knows she carries. And yet they are real to her. She has faith, not in the troubled things that she sees, but in the unseen truth that God is at work. So this song encourages you and I to have this faith that places confidence in the promises and character of God. Mary's song is really like a hinge. It's an encouragement for you and I to have this kind of hinge faith because her song, it looks back and it says, look at all this amazing stuff that God has done. Look at all the ways he's been faithful. Look at all, of, all the ways he's described himself to be the mighty one, the merciful one, the holy one. Look at everything that God has done. And by the way, look forward at all the things we can still trust that he will do. And so right there in between is Mary singing this song. And saying the God who was active back there is the God who is active up here. 
And not just that, this song captures so much of what Jesus is going to do moving forward in the book of Luke. All these ideas of scattering the proud and sending the rich away, these are things Jesus is going to do in the coming pages of Luke. And so we have this song that Mary sings to encourage you and I to have the kind of faith that she has. But if she's a singer who rejoices and a savior who's at work in a song that encourages us, we have to ask ourselves about a soul that might magnify God, a soul that magnifies the Lord. You know, to, the, the beginning words of this song are so famous, right? My soul magnifies the Lord. It's a, such a famous phrase, such a famous start to so much kind of um, a his, like musical history, especially in our Western culture. But just for us today, like this idea that a soul magnifies God is how Mary starts her song. Well, let's just think about that really quickly. Because to magnify here means quite literally just to enlarge, right, to enlarge. And we've talked about this metaphor before. Um, other, other pastors and speakers have talked about it. But when we magnify God, we magnify him like a telescope, right, not like a microscope. A microscope says I'm going to look at something really tiny and I'm going to make it big enough for me to see it. But a telescope looks at something majestic and huge and more amazing than we could ever imagine, and it enlarges it in such a way that we can see it, we can perceive it. And this is what Mary is singing here. She says her soul wants to enlarge her perception of the Lord. Her soul, her inmost being, the deepest part of who she is, is convinced that what she needs to do is to magnify God, to make him the biggest thing in her life. And so her personal praise comes out of that deep inward conviction that God is magnificent. God is worthy of focusing on. And God is, we can enlarge him in our heart, in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our minds. Like our soul, our whole being can be focused on the Lord. Because here's the thing, a soul that magnifies the Lord doesn't magnify its fears. She's a soul that magnifies the Lord we could be a soul that magnifies the Lord, not our fears. Can we be honest? Right, sometimes our inmost being enlarges our fear. Right? And this is what Mary could have done. Right? Mary could have said, what, you know, she could have been just totally freaking out. What is happening to me? She could have been so concerned. Is, is Joseph going to reject me? What is my family going to say? She could have been thinking, what are, what are people going to think about me when, when all of a sudden my pregnancy starts to show? You guys, even non-miraculous pregnancies are scary. She had all kinds of reasons to be afraid. She could have had a soul that enlarged her fear. Do you have those moments? Do you have those moments when you wake up in the middle of the night and something that may seem not like a big deal at noon seems like the end of the world at 3 a.m.? And yet we all know what this is. We all know every single beating human heart in this room right now. I know you have something that you think, I'm scared of that. I'm scared of that phone call I might get. I'm scared that that thing's not going to work out the way I need it to. I know I'm not expecting good news. You may just even have that generalized sense that I know that life, the longer you live it, trends towards heartache and suffering. 
we can all be tempted to allow our souls to enlarge real, justifiable fears. Let's face it, life is scary. Life is scary. Hard things come to us that we should be concerned about. But enlarging fear is what we call worry. When we magnify fear, we come into worry, and that's what God has actually said is out of bounds for us. So Mary seems to make a conscious choice to call on her soul to enlarge God, not to enlarge her fears. But a soul that magnifies the Lord also doesn't magnify its complaints. A soul that magnifies the Lord doesn't magnify its fears and doesn't magnify its complaints. You know, Mary had reason to complain. She did not choose what was happening to her. Can't you just imagine Mary saying, God, why me? Why have you let this happen? Can't you just imagine, haven't you said that to God before? Can't you imagine her saying, God, why have you allowed this difficult thing to come into my life? Why are you asking me to walk this road? Don't you know how hard it's going to be? Can't you imagine her thinking, God, no one is going to believe me. When I tell them, an angel came to me. Or maybe she's upset. She might just say, God, you've taken a dream away from me about how I thought my life was going to be. And you've given me this life that I don't know how I'm going to make sense of. What about you? Do you have those moments when your soul enlarges your complaint? When in the quiet of your heart, if you were really honest, you would look back at God and say, God, why me? Why did you ask, why did you allow this measure of difficulty and this measure of suffering to come into my life? God, why have you let things end up this way? Haven't we all had the moments when we realize our life isn't quite how we imagined it should be, isn't quite what we had hoped that it could be, and we look back at God and say, God, why is it like this? Mary seems to make a conscious choice to call on her soul to enlarge God, not her complaints and not her fears. Because a soul that magnifies God is a soul that enlarges the experience of and the expectation of God. A soul that magnifies the Lord enlarges our experience of and expectations of God. We can choose to focus on the presence and the comfort and the real goodness of God to us. And so friends, what does your soul magnify? Like if you were honest, if you, if you, you were sitting across a, a table with a cup of coffee from a good friend and saying, what is your soul like, like obsessed with and focused on right now? Could we be the kind of people that work to make a conscious choice to focus on, the, on, on God, on his presence, on his comfort, on his goodness, of his unalterable promises, rather than to enlarge our fears and our complaints? And the question comes for us, will we join in the song? Will we participate in allowing our own souls to magnify the Lord? We are in between people like Mary. We look behind at the finished work of Christ on the cross 
and we trust that his sacrificial death has secured for us forgiveness and that his vindication at the empty tomb has secured for us eternal life. And we look forward and we say, one day I will be with him and his goodness is towards me and he is for me and he loves me and he would not ask me to walk a path that he wasn't willing to walk with me. Can we be the in-between people like Mary? You know, Mary did know who Jesus was. The angel had told her. The angel told her that a Savior was coming. She was going to give birth to the one who would give his life. And she sings this song in response to that news. But I, I've always wondered if maybe she sang that song more than just then. Did she sing that song when he was crying in the middle of the night and she wanted to go to sleep? My soul magnifies the Lord. No, seriously, my soul magnifies the Lord. Did she sing that song when he was a precocious teenager and, and she was looking for him and couldn't find him and he was back at the temple, my soul magnifies the Lord, right? I don't know. I, I like to think that these were words that Mary rooted her life in. Because I have to believe, you know, at some point we know that Mary, John records, was standing at the foot of the cross. And she was watching her son suffer and die. And did she sing this song? Like, would she have looked back and would she have said, as she stood at the cross, he who is mighty has done great things for me. Mary knew what it was to magnify the Lord in difficult places. And maybe there at the foot of that cross, she was able to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. Because he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 